1: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast
0: that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm
1: Sophie Alexandra. And we're taking your money today, bitches, you little pay-pig sluts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or sissies, whatever they prefer. That's right, we are back with our Comedians of OnlyFans series. And today, we're talking to Rara Imler, who is a stripper, an OnlyFans creator, a comedian, and just a
1: cool-ass bitch. Yeah, she's so articulate about all of the sex work stuff and... She's an amazing guest. So here we go. Okay, you guys, we are back with another edition of our Comedians of OnlyFans series. And we're so excited to have Rarar Imler. Ra rah Imler. Like rah rah. Ra rah. Yeah. Don't feel bad about mispronouncing it. It's such a badass name though, I gotta say, every time it hits my
2: inbox, I'm like, ooh, I like that. That's like lion vibes. <laughs> I always have to disappoint people because they're like, wow, what a badass name. And I'm like, thank you. Um, It's a nickname. And I've just been using it for so long that I can't go back to my real name because nobody knows me by my real name anymore. What's your real name? (laughs) Sarah, which is like the most like whitest of white girl names. You
0: are so not a Sarah, okay? No shade to Sarah's. You're much more of a Rara.
2: Thank you, because Sarah, it's like everyone's dead wife in movies is named Sarah for some reason, and I just never (laughs) felt like, I never felt that ethereal and like beautiful and like. (laughs) And that dead, you've never felt that dead? I've never felt that dead before. Maybe, maybe, maybe after certain nights of partying, but not like dead.
1: (laughs) You and Sophia actually know each other, but I, this is the first time we're talking, but I was reading on your website and you were born and raised in Guam.
2: Yes, yeah, my uh, my mother's mother is from Guam, and uh, she met my grandfather when he was in the Navy, so I'm mixed Chamorro and white, but I was born and raised there, and I left when I was uh, 21, so I spent like my whole life there, and I moved to the States in like 2011, so I've been in America for a while, but uh, yeah, I, I pretty much spent my whole life on a pretty remote island. Interesting.
0: Yeah, we met when I came to Atlanta to do stand up because you're a stand up also. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long have you lived
2: in Atlanta? Has it been most of your time in the US or? No, no. I actually have only lived in Atlanta for like four years. And before that, I lived in like Gainesville, Florida, um, which if you've ever been to like Fest in Gainesville, it's like a you know big punk rock destination every year. But it's a weird story how I got there. It was basically just like, I wanted to leave Island. I was like, I got to get out of here. Where do I go? I knew people in Florida. I ended up in Florida. And then um, when I started getting more serious about comedy, I was like, I got to get out of Florida. <laughs> So I moved to Atlanta Um, and now nobody's doing comedy. So I feel way better about it now.
0: (laughs) That's true. Um, How long were you doing stand up for before the Rona hit?
2: So I was on like seven years of doing comedy. Yeah. so So I started in like 20. Well, I started in like 2012, I think. Oh, my God. I don't even know. That's so bad. I stopped counting, actually. Um, but I've been doing comedy since 2012. So I've been pretty serious about it since I, like, moved to Atlanta. But then I kind of just, like, this pandemic just made me realize that um, I feel like I was focusing on, like, all the wrong things with comedy. And I wanted to get back to just enjoying it and not worrying about making it a career. So I had, like, a big, you know, revelation, uh, the big quarantine revelation mm-hmm. that was, like... I'm just gonna do it and be happy and stop trying to think of it as something to make money because I think it's taking out all the joy all of, out of it. And I'm really like impressed with people that can kind of hold both those things, you know, in their lives. But I just realize I'm not capable of it. <laughs> like I just need to do it for fun. <laughs> so
1: how does the OnlyFans come in? And did you have like a regular job before the quarantine? What was your s- whole entry into this scene?
2: So I was already a stripper before quarantine. So I've been stripping since 2018. I actually started by selling nudes on the internet in like the summer of 2018. I had a friend that saw that I was selling nudes because I was really dumb about it and was like telling people, yeah, I'm selling nudes. Do you guys want any? (laughs) Just like on Facebook and shit. And I was like, here's my Twitter. And uh, I was being real dumb about it. Uh, Don't do that, (laughs) by the way. Don't tell Uh everybody. And I was making decent money doing that. And then a friend of mine saw, like, we used to, like, be coworkers together like, a coffee shop. And she was like, hey, if you're, like, comfortable with live nudity, you should try stripping. Uh, You should try working at the club I work at. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I am pretty comfortable being nude. I'm pretty comfortable talking to people. You know, I'll see how it goes. So I auditioned and I got hired at my first club and uh, I've been stripping ever since. So dope. I had an OnlyFans like at the end of 2019 and I really didn't maintain it very well. I was just kind of like all over the place with it because I was making so much money stripping. It was like, this was just like my little side hustle basically. So that was kind of like my, my journey into sex work so far.
0: One thing that I've noticed about your approach to sex work is it's also really creative. Like the looks and stuff that you do. I feel like you put a lot of time into it and it's not a slap dash sort of thing. Do you think that you express yourself like in a creative way when you do your OnlyFans stuff?
2: Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, you can see behind me, I have, like, a home studio set up now. Like, this is my, like, actual office. <laughs> this totally. is, like, ridiculous. I have, like, wardrobe rack, box lights, ring light. Um, I'm going to start learning how to use a green screen soon. Um, it's a whole production, and it's, like, the further I get into it, the more I'm, like, yeah, I just, like, I have all these concepts that I want to do. And I some of them work out, and some of them are, like, you know... It's really difficult because sometimes the things I like do not translate into sales very well, but I'm just like, I do, I'm doing it to make myself happy really, because this is the kind of industry where you have to find the niche that you fit in or the niches that you fit in and feel comfortable with, because that's how you have like any kind of longevity. You have to just do the things you like to do and Mm -hmm. not do the things you don't like to do, (laughs) especially with like, if you plan on being in online sex work for any amount of time yeah you just have to kind of find where you're comfortable I guess
1: so give us an example of the thing that's for you that you love and then what's an example of the thing that like drives the cash
2: so a thing that I love and I started doing in January of last year I was like starting to get more into like femdom and findom so female domination and financial domination is I guess considered like a Substrata of female domination because a lot of femme people typically do it, um, and I was really obsessed with the idea of just making money off of guys that you know like really wanted to give you money. Um, mm-hmm. And as a stripper, that's kind of like what I was dealing with already. So I was like, maybe I could apply these same principles, right? So I did a bunch of research. I I was just started following a bunch of DOMs and just like, you know, actively like studying what, how, their approach and what I liked and didn't like, and I was. I found that i really really enjoy it i think it's like probably my main online like sex work income is from financial domination and it's not necessarily the most lucrative it's so niche and there's just like you know there's not a ton of whales walking around out there generally um so you have to like be pretty visible in the community but i really enjoy it i probably would make more money doing like anal vids uh because those are really popular if i did like sibling porn or whatever like you know like incest porn apparently that's a fucking huge thing which i never understood (laughs) (laughs) but it's like but i'm not comfortable doing like anal stuff that much anymore like i used to and then i was like this isn't really what i want to do like because i only do like solo stuff and i was like you can only Anally masturbate so many different interesting ways, and I was just like bored. I was just bored with it, you know. <laughs> like, it daily wasn't- thing. <laughs> yeah, it was just like one person ordered like a twenty minute custom video of just like a butt plug video, and I'm like, how the fuck do I do this for? Tw- like, how do I film this for twenty minutes straight? And I just like I reached a point where I was like, I'm not taking any more of those custom videos. It it was literally not just like, oh, I'm grossed out by it. It's like, no, I'm just bored. And if I'm bored, I will not do it. <laughs> like, I've had a
1: really hard time with custom video. I have an OnlyFans too. Cool. And I've had a really hard time keeping up with custom content because it doesn't always feel that authentic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just managing your
2: messages is like a whole thing. Yeah. Do you have those same struggles? I had that a lot more before I started identifying as a dom. I feel like people are like too intimidated now to like necessarily ask for things, um, which (laughs) is not always the best thing because it's like you still want them to ask for content, right? Right. But I've just I've become like a lot less um, like I don't message people for free anymore. Even on my OnlyFans, I'll like chit chat a little bit because they're subscribers. But really, unless they're like attaching a tip or something or they're like seriously inquiring about like a piece of content. I pretty much don't chit chat. I I save all the chit chat for like the feed or like I save all the chit chat for my fin subs, like my financial subs um, who don't actually bother me that much. So it's great. (laughs) It's like, yes, this is what I want. Money in silence. It's all I want for men ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I saw you also do like foot worship stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that market?
2: Yeah, I think um, I like foot worship stuff because I actually genuinely like my feet and I think my feet are very pretty and uh, it's very easy like when you do like body part worship kind of things um, to pick just a body part that you really love and I've always Mm -hmm. loved my feet and foot worship stuff. It's like if you're really just not to, you know, use the phrase, but like if you're dipping your toes into fetish work, (laughs) (laughs) it's usually, yeah, it's usually one of the more common ones and it's more accessible, and so you can kind of, like, make your way in it. And there's so many foot guys out there. I know. It
1: seems like a huge market.
2: It's really kind of crazy how many people I run into just regularly that are, like, like at the club, I always wear, like, open-toed shoes for this exact purpose because I can, like, zero in on a foot guy as soon as I see him just, like, staring at my feet. Um, So I've gotten like pretty good at like identifying, you know, people that are interested in that kind of thing. But foot fetishes, I think also it's because for a lot of people and for a lot of workers, it's not a very sexual part of their body. So they don't feel as bad like flaunting it or sexualizing it. Mm -hmm. It's way different than doing pussy shots or, you know, like ass spreads and like titty worship. You know, those are very explicitly, you know, sexual
1: things Mm -hmm. in the
2: context of porn but I think that there can be some kind of emotional disconnect for foot fetishes between the provider and the customer so I think it's easier for people to get into at first you know totally I've considered getting into it
0: because I also love my feet and Mm -hmm. I like doing my nails and stuff and having cute toes and I'm like I could fuck with it But I don't know enough about the market to like know how to even get into it. You know, I know your girl has five stars on wiki feet. I know
1: that. I have three stars. I don't have good feet. It's definitely like my worst body part. I've got one janky toe.
2: No, but you know what? Because I have fucked up stripper feet because my feet never used to be fucked up. They used to be perfect. They're like the only super nice part of my body, no scars, like super symmetrical. And then I started stripping and my toes are all jacked up. And people love that. Like there's <laughs> there's a market for any type of foot guy. It's so crazy. There's like a market for like the clean, you know, symmetrical, ah, beautiful. And then there's like, oh, my feet are dirty and messed up. And like, oh, they're so sore. Like that's the big market I cater to is like, oh mommy's feet are sore don't you want to get her a pedicure like that's kind of the angle I go for anyway so I don't know try it out especially if, if you're having a bad like you know if you just don't want to put on makeup that day and you don't want to like fuck with anything else all I do is just slap some toenail polish on and shine them up with baby oil and do some foot content so just a tip out there for anybody who's you know smart like me and Hot has tip. depression
1: <laughs> so how did you finally realize okay I need to make my OnlyFans like a real thing. And then what are kind of the logistics of your business and how much time do you spend on everything and how does it all work?
2: I was trying to like slowly build up my online presence through like OnlyFans um, and Twitter uh, right before the pandemic. So once the pandemic hit and my club shut down, I was like, okay, I got to go like full into this and like do something about it. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard at first to figure out what I was doing correct and what I was doing wrong and what I actually wanted to do, because I was just kind of like thrown into it under kind of desperate circumstances. So I feel like I didn't do as good of a job as I could have at first. And I think a lot of people are kind of the same way. Like I'm making more money now in OnlyFans a year later than I was at the beginning when people were more like interested and excited Um, Especially because I had like a decent Twitter following at the time. I think I had like around 10k Twitter followers at the time. So I was really relying on that crowd to kind Mm -hmm. of like be my main customer base. Were you consciously building
0: them so you could move them to another platform potentially?
2: No, I really wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to approach sex work. I knew kind of like my audience and kind of who would be willing to buy what but then when I started explicitly calling myself a DOM and only doing domination content, I definitely halved my customer base um, because it, you know, it is niche. But I also found myself having more fun with it, and having a better workflow, mm-hmm. having like more creativity and being able to like conceptualize things better. Um, I bought this book that I think everybody with an OnlyFans or any kind of subscription platform should get. It's called uh, 90 Days and Paid by Amber Lee Rothfield. Dope. Uh, She's like a sex worker guru. She's amazing. But that book really outlines like what you have to do to have a successful online business. And a lot of it is just scheduling uh, times of the day. Like if you're, and this is like, precisely for like online work, right? Like OnlyFans, AVN stars, clip sites, all that stuff. And I found that I was trying to do everything in one day. I was trying to shoot content and edit it and put it out
1: mm-hmm.
2: all in like one or two days and then start the whole process over again. And it was exhausting and I was doing it all wrong and I nearly burnt myself out doing it. And so what she has you do in the book is like a workshop thing where she's like, all right, what are your four, Your core four your niche areas that you want to focus on so you're not all over the place so that, you know, you have like a laser focus. And then like how many hours a week do you want to focus on it? And, you know, what days are for shooting? What days are for editing? What days are for scheduling? And so once I started... Thinking about it like that, I had like a much more manageable schedule and I was much happier. I'm not necessarily making more money, like, but I'm a sane person now, whereas Mm -hmm. during quarantine, I was kind of all over the place.
1: So like what are your four niche areas and what's your new workflow look like?
2: So my four niche areas currently are financial domination. Erotic hypnosis.
1: Ooh, I love that. What's erotic
2: hypnosis? We can get into that. Uh, Foot worship and ass worship. Got to go with the money makers. Uh, (laughs) But uh, erotic hypnosis is exactly what it sounds like. It is like guiding someone into hypnotic state through erotic suggestion um, so it has a lot of this like similar triggers to regular hypnosis. So when I was starting to like figure it out, and I was like really intrigued by it, I was like. I'm going to just like do a bunch of research about this. And I was looking up hypnotic triggers and like how sound plays into it, how the different visuals work. And I found that I really enjoyed that because I liked making it, but also because I really like editing. And I really just love the visual component of a good hypnosis clip, you know? Mm -hmm. So I found like those four things were things that I could do over and over and over again and feel really comfortable and still feel inspired by them. Are you back at the club now? I am back at the club, which is why I have not been doing very well on my OnlyFans at all. <laughs> because truthfully, like I always made more money in the club than I did an OnlyFans. It's kind of the case with sex work. In in person work, you're just always gonna make more money in general. Like, um, and you know, I live in Atlanta. It's one of the biggest strip club, you know, cities in the world. So, um, you know, my club is open, although with COVID and stuff, it's still It's still pretty dicey. I'm trying not to be in work so much. So I'm splitting my time between the club and doing online work still. I had like a pretty hard time back in December. I got diagnosed with ADHD back in December. um, So I was kind of taking a minute to adjust to my new medication and figure out some things emotionally and figure out like, you know grapple with all the things that that diagnosis came with. So I kind of like tapered off of the online work for a little bit. I'm back into it now. And my workflow is basically, I'm trying to shoot like one clip every two weeks, um, because that's about all I can handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the time I'm promoting and scheduling and kind of like networking with my, um, you know, my colleagues in FinDom, So
0: cool. How does coming back to comedy, like, what does that look like?
2: I don't even know at this point because I haven't done comedy for literally almost a year exactly at this point. Most of my comedic stuff that I've been doing, I've just been pouring into my podcast. So stand-up is just something that I was never comfortable with, like, the whole Zoom format. And I'm really envious of people that, yeah, I'm really envious of the comics that can actually make that work for them. But that was never, like, a format that would would have worked for somebody like me. And, you know, it was one of those things where I had to decide. I was like, I could really try to make myself fit into this space. Or I could just say, we're just not doing comedy this year. You know, like we're just not doing stand-up. And I just chose the more sensible route for myself. So the podcast thing is kind of like where my heart is right now.
1: That's so relatable for me. I was like, (laughs) I can't, I could drive myself crazy trying to do Zoom shows that I get done with. And I'm like, I don't know, did that even feel good for me? (laughs) Or I can just be like, pause. I'm going to spend this time on other things. And when I can go do stand-up, standing up, I am, will be all about it.
0: I'm the opposite. I immediately <laughs> started running a Zoom show, and now I run two. And I can't imagine not having done that in the last year. I think I would have fucking probably killed myself. Truly, like it's been really huge yeah. for me. I,
2: I totally like understand it as an outlet. And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm I'm very envious of people that have made that format work for them. But it's like I am just really. I'm really not that person and it it sucks to know that but it's also like that was another part of you know getting my ADHD diagnosis is being like you say yes to everything you do everything and then you know you crash and burn and then you're like what the fuck is wrong with me and it's like there's nothing wrong with you you just you you say yes to everything and you and you're interested in too much and you got to like realize you know Am I really interested in this or is it because someone asked me and I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and I got excited because someone asked me to do something. And so like a lot of like comedy stuff lately and a lot of like podcast stuff lately has just been me like really asking myself, do I really want to do this? Is this really going to make me happy? And like lately, if it's not work related and it doesn't make me happy, then I don't do it. I don't know. That's that's what's great about being in your 30s is just like you you just don't have to do shit. You don't want to do, you know, 100 percent.
1: Totally. And I think that you're sort of applying that to your sex work as well. Mm -hmm. That anal video might have made you a ton of cash. But like, do you even want to put yourself through that if you're not feeling it? So I think that's just a good lesson.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm like the Marie Kondo of uh, financial domination. It's like, does it spark joy? No, (laughs) leave it alone. Then leave it in the past.
0: Hey, just because you're grown up doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself for some extra sweet dreams.
1: Mm, I love that ghost dick. (laughs) Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Find
0: stories about an off-limits hookup with your professor. Mm Meow. Or a costume party that takes things to the next level or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do or you try a new toy together
1: yes 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 all that sounds amazing and they release new stories every week so there's always more to explore no matter who you're into or what turns you on there is something for everyone
0: yeah and it's really nice to keep finding new favorites plus Dipsy also has wellness sessions that help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off.
1: And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to DipsyStories.com private.
0: That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A-Stories.com private.
1: That's DipsyStories.com private. I want to get more into the Findom stuff, but so coming from Guam, what were your attitudes about sex work there? What were other people's attitudes about sex work there? And then has that changed with your group in Atlanta?
2: So weirdly enough, you know, I was a really huge party girl on Guam. Um, So I was definitely a strip club customer and I loved strippers and I loved going to strip clubs and dragging my guy friends with me because I was that fucking chick and uh <laughs> I did a little of that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and it's likely something I would probably still do um if I wasn't, you know, an actual stripper now and just like working all the time. But I uh, I was really pretty swirfy, honestly, when I was younger. Despite like really loving the strip club and really liking strippers, I was really horphobic when I was younger up until like pretty recently. Um up until probably like Maybe the year that I started doing sex work, I was very much like, "Oh, I, I, I won't get paid for nudes. Like, I no, I would never do that." And it was just like a stupid attitude to have, and it was very harmful and shitty. And I really regret how I thought about it for all those years. But once I got into it, I definitely changed my attitude very, very quickly and evolved very, very quickly because it is a very radicalizing thing to do. Um, and, you know, it's so much more fulfilling to have a community around you. And you cannot do that if you're a only OnlyFans girl.
1: <laughs> totally. What changed where you could give yourself permission to even try it?
2: Poverty. <laughs> The
0: great equalizer, man.
2: Yeah. You know, moving to Atlanta kicked my ass financially. It really almost broke me emotionally and financially. And I was truly, truly miserable for a while. And I was working so much. Most of my adult life, I've had at least two jobs. And I was just working so hard. I was a receptionist full-time in a hair salon. And then I was also working in a coffee shop at the same time. And I was trying to do comedy at the same time. So I was miserable. I was always either working or going to a show or going to my other job or trying to sleep. And it was just really unsustainable. And I was like, what can I do to fucking just make it so I'm not just working all the time and I have Mm -hmm. time for the things I want to do? And selling nudes became that outlet for me. And... Even at that time, I was very like, oh, I'm selling news, but I'm not a prostitute. And it was just like a stupid attitude to have, right? Because it's like in society's view, they'll treat you the same no matter what you fucking do. I mean, you know, we, we see that all the time in, in like gossip rags and shit like that is even if a girl's nudes get leaked and she's not even selling them, she's called a whore. So it's like to separate yourself from other, you know, women like that. It just doesn't make any sense. And I realized that very quickly when I got into stripping as well, because there is kind of like a hierarchy in stripping between, you know, the extras girls who, you know, provide extra something, something in the club and then the girls who don't, you know, there was like a dichotomy there. And I found myself sympathizing more with extras girls because I could relate to doing that stuff, you know, because it is technically a safer environment to do that in the club than it would be to, you know grab a hotel room or whatever Mm -hmm. and so I was like I should not be judging these girls for doing whatever the fuck they want to do and now I'm full-blown like pro-whore very much like yeah I love all my brothers and sisters who are sex workers no matter what they do and I'm super supportive of them but you know like I said it was a long journey to get to that point and I definitely have a lot of like answering to do for the attitudes that I perpetuated in the past you know I want to say to piggyback off
0: of that is like what you are saying is so much of I think like growing up in the 90s like us being in our 30s you got exposed to 90s culture and I've been rewatching a lot of movies from the 90s that you know I used to really love. And so much of the casual lines that are, you're a slut. Oh, she's a slut. She's a whore. I can't believe you're dating that slut. Like we heard that so much. There was Mm -hmm. no way for us to grow up and not think like, oh my God, like I'm a good girl. You Mm -hmm. know, that girl, she's a whore. Like she is doing something sexual that I'm not. What a slut. Yeah, that's so true. So I think like it's really hard. And same with like the gender binary It's Mm -hmm. hard to unlearn it. It doesn't mean you get a pass. It just means that it's like, oh shit, you were breathing this for so long Mm -hmm. that now to be like, oh yeah, why did I feel like that? Well, obviously Mm -hmm. that's why.
2: Yeah. And I think a big part of it, too, is that, um, you know, this is definitely not an excuse on my part, but I just didn't know any sex workers like I just didn't know any out sex workers, I should say, because whoever's listening to this, you probably if, if you're not a sex worker yourself, you probably know a sex worker in your life. If you're saying I don't know a sex worker in my life, it's because they haven't told you. Uh, they don't trust you enough. And I feel like there's probably people looking back where they probably would have told me ahead of time and like been more comfortable with it if they had perceived that I had like um, you know, an accepting attitude. And it, it is really difficult because it's like, how many people did I alienate in my twenties, you know, by being that way? How many people could I have learned from and grown from and had really meaningful connections with that I just completely eliminated that possibility by being a judgmental bitch, you know?
1: (laughs) Totally. Yep, we all feel that. I've gone through my own whole evolution with that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, even giving yourself permission to do it, it was like a huge step for me because it's like something that I always thought was, it was like a shiny thing that I was like, ooh, I would love to dance at some point. But like I could never even give myself permission until... Mm -hmm. I mean, really, my OnlyFans is like my biggest foray into it, but
2: yeah. I mean, I think it's um, it was easier for me because I started in my late 20s. I can't imagine how women in their early 20s or even just like their teens getting into this kind of thing, because I feel like I had a lot of emotional development up until that point, and I had already done a ton of different kinds of work. Mm-hmm. I had a ton of different kinds of romantic uh, and sexual experiences, I knew that men were garbage, so it was way easier to not be manipulated by them in, mm-hmm. you know, transactional scenarios. But it's I see, you know, younger women starting OnlyFans and thinking of it as like this thing that they can just do and then just drop and will have no like side effects in their lives. And it's like, babe. You got to be ready for the negative consequences as well as the positive ones. Because, you know, for every sex worker, you see that posts like, a, you know, I made 10K on my um, OnlyFans the first month. That's crazy, by the way. Like, I know a lot of very successful people. Very few of them make like 10K a month. But, you know, for every one of those 10K a month girls, there's a hundred that will never even break even for the amount of money they put in. And you have to be prepared for that to be a reality. And you have to be prepared for your friends to find out and your family to find out. If you want to have any kind of career with children or in the law, like as a lawyer or like... If you want to have any op- occupation, basically, um, that has like a morality clause in it for your contract, you have to be prepared for those things because it can totally bite you in the ass.
1: So do your friends know? Does your family know? And do you feel like some of that's changing, though, that maybe those clauses are going to become less important with the shift in society?
2: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an out and out sex worker, definitely. Um, and I have been for a really long time. My parents, my family know, they're very supportive, and I'm incredibly lucky in that regard. Um, it's not every family that will understand that, you know, what you have to do to kind of make your way in this world. They're just happy, like they're saying, as, as long as I'm happy and healthy and and safe, they're fine with it, <laughs> basically. But I think the attitudes are changing really, really slowly, and I think it's because of things like OnlyFans, um, the popularity of the platform, But it's a it's a scary time to be a sex worker. A lot of our rights are coming under fire. We're under constant censorship and surveillance and constant scrutiny from like anti-trafficking orgs and from like radical feminist groups and stuff like that. And a lot of people just come for us for no reason. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I think the culture is changing For the better, but I think it's going to be a really slow kind of process to reconcile how society views sex workers with, you know, how we view like women, you know, like femme people in general. Right. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the a lot of the issues that sex workers face, you can really zoom out on that and be like, oh, this is a this is a femme issue, actually. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is affecting all of us.
0: God,
1: that's so true.
0: You were saying, <laughs> even though your name is a white girl name, <laughs> you yourself are Native, right? Yeah. So would you say there's a difference in how you are treated? Because as we know, there is a hierarchy in sex work as well in terms of color and race and the way people are treated. Would you say that's been at all an issue in your work?
2: I don't think um, like racism for me has been an issue personally because i am very very white passing if you've ever seen me on the street like i I could pass for white whenever i wanted to that's always a privilege i've had even though i am a mixed person so i can't really speak too much on on the racism issue it's definitely present in the industry it's absolutely present But I've experienced more fetishization than anything else. That's what I was going to, yeah. Because I'm so, like, racially ambiguous, people love to attach different ethnicities to me or different cultures to me. Mm -hmm. And when I actually, like, say what my actual, you know, ethnicity is, that's when, like, the real weird shit starts. People love the island girl, uh, you know aesthetic and oh, like the idea of like you know scooping up an island girl like it's a whole fucking gross thing that's like really rooted in like colonialism and it's just like it's really icky and nasty and I experienced it a lot more in the club than I do online. Online it's a little bit easier to kind of like block or ignore mm-hmm. or move away when you're sitting in the club and a guy is just like Oh yeah, do you guys wear grass skirts? Like, oh wow. I mean, I I bet like the guys there are like really hardcore and da, da 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 and it's just like it's just really it's it's very dehumanizing, but I've only really had like a small taste of it compared to some, you know, people who who can't pass and who can't like code switch. So, it's yeah, it's definitely a fucked up aspect of the industry, and people love to point to that as like an anti-porn thing. To be like, oh, look at all the, you know, look at how racialized it is. Look at how people like fetishize, you know, Asian people and indigenous people and black people. But it's like, again, you zoom out and it's like, it's just a microcosm of what's happening in the macro. So it's hard because our industry is blamed for a lot of that kind of like perpetuating a lot of that kind of stuff. But it's also like, are we a product of our environment or like is the environment a product of us? So it's chicken and eggs scenario, right? Totally.
1: I would love to know a little bit more about the Findom world specifically because there's a whole language that goes with it and anything that you've noticed about like what really what you said the guys don't talk to you a lot. So like what's what is that whole world like?
2: So I really love financial domination because I've met some of the like smartest, coolest people in sex work in that world in particular and because it is a very niche world it is pretty small it's a lot like comedy it's like the longer you're in it you're like oh I know that person oh I know that person that person has beef with that person <laughs> like oh that yeah that person does this this person does this and you like start kind of yeah so um it's funny because like I'm definitely not known at all because I've only been doing it for a little bit over a year But um, I really love it because it is so niche that we do have our own little vocabulary and our own little subculture. It's kind of like being like punk in high school. You know, you're just like, yeah, I got me and like my punk friends and and we just do our own thing and you do your thing and more power to you. But we're over here. And I kind of like love that. But I I really like the aspects of it as kind of like a reclamation of power because in my mind, it kind of just affirmed what I had a suspicion of all along is that um, men should pay me for being pretty. So I, <laughs> I really, truly believe that in my heart. <laughs> totally. And that pretty pretty girls should get paid.
1: Are the guys called pay pigs? Is that right?
2: Yeah. I'm, so it depends on the kind of uh we call like fin sub uh, for short, financial submissive. I have guys that don't like being called pay pigs. And again, this is all about consensual domination, right? Like you don't jump into somebody's DMs and be like, pay me, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you they usually come to you. Ide- ideally, they come to you with a tribute, with an initial tribute. My initial tribute to chat with me is $30. And if you don't send anything after that, I get very bored and I just stop interacting. But, um, you know, sometimes they want to be called pay pigs. Sometimes they want to be called sissies. Sometimes they want to be called pay sluts. I refer to a lot of my subs as pets uh, because it's gender neutral. And it's not as, as some people aren't into hardcore humiliation just because they're into financial domination. So you have to kind of find like what that particular sub is into. Now, sometimes when I'm posting promotional tweets, I'll be more on the hardcore verbal humiliation side. Um, and then sometimes I'll be on the soft, coercive, you know, mesmerizing side. So I kind of just switch between those two personalities depending on how much I hate men that day. So.
1: <laughs> this has been so great. Should we Thanks. do our final question, Seth?
2: Yeah, we have been
0: asking all of our comedian only fan creators what is a piece of advice you would give to a subscriber on how to be a good sub a good fan a good supporter
2: so i would say if you especially if you are interacting with this person's content a lot tip them tipping before even tipping before you message them amen will absolutely put you ahead of the pile and also, just interacting with content, because this is a thing I've noticed on OnlyFans specifically, is people are very afraid to interact with you. And it's like, I don't think your fans that are subscribing, like, should be afraid to click a like button or a comment. And, you know, the nature of those comments is obviously up to your discretion. But what I notice is people are very intimidated to even just click like. They'll DM me and say, I really liked this. Thank you so much. But they're afraid to like actually do it. So if you're a customer and you like something that someone's done and you're like, God, I need to see more of this, attach it to a tip every time. Trust me. And the person providing that content, we think about that kind of stuff. We look at the metrics on what gets, you know, what gets opened, what gets tipped. So yeah, tip her, tip them, tip him. <laughs> so good. Love it. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, So... For my Safer Work Twitter, it's twitter.com slash islandgoth. And you can also find our Patreon for the Hot Girl Agenda podcast, uh, patreon.com slash agenda. But if you want to follow my OnlyFans, and by the way, this is like strictly uh, domination content and ass worship, and I do, you know, have nudes and stuff. But if you really want to follow me on OnlyFans, it's onlyfans.com slash Isa. I-S-A.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me.
0: We loved having
1: you. Oh, that was so good. Honestly, I think that was one of my favorites of the whole OnlyFans series.
0: Yeah, that was definitely one of the best ones. And I am obsessed with how organized she is. And it makes me want to get back on Ritalin. (laughs)
1: This was just a really, it was actually a 40 some minute riddle and ad. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) they're the unofficial sponsor of this episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. But you guys make sure you stay tuned because we have so many other amazing OnlyFans creators coming at you. So get excited. Hey Sophia, what's that bomb ass music?
0: That music is by our bomb ass friend, Amy Rosh. You can find her on Spotify. Her last name is R A A S C H.
1: This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio.
0: We, we love, you, Mike. love you, Mike. You are the best. Hell yeah. Ooh-ooh. All right. What a remix. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now it's time for the review of the week you guys we need a new review so head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash private honestly just compliment rara <laughs> that's all you have to do is just be like this is for that bad bitch you guys i'll hit you next time <laughs> we'll take it either way <laughs> seriously And if you guys want to stay in touch with us after the show, make sure you follow us at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. Your girl Cokes is over at Courtney Kosak, K-O-C-A-K. I almost forgot how to spell my own name.
0: (laughs) and don't forget to follow her only fans it's Coco Peep Show Ooh. and I'm Sophia Alexandra and you can find me at the Sophia S-O-F-I-Y-A on Twitter and Instagram
1: and buy that bitch's album where do they go to buy your album Sophia? You can go to my website
0: you can go anywhere that you buy albums iTunes I don't know Amazon Google Plus I don't know what you fuck with but anywhere Father's Day get it